Greetings, programs, and welcome back to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and I am your host. And joining me today, um, unsurprisingly, <laughs> for <a> nice change, <laughs> uh, is Simon. How are you today, Simon? Joining you, you make me sound like a special guest star. Like I should walk in, and and the whole the whole audience goes, Woo! and I like do that little nod out, like in Fresh Prince, like hi, yes, it's me, it's Michael Jordan. Okay, um, um, I'm just going to say that you are not. If we're going to be if we're going to make a pop culture reference here, you're not going to be DJ Jazzy Jeff in Fresh Prince. You're going to be Norm on Cheers, and that's just how it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm, I haven't watched enough Cheers to understand that reference, but... Uh, I mean, sure. he's a guy who always sits at the bar, and when he enters the bar, everyone goes, Norm! Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. So I can be the man sat at the bar. Um, yeah, he's I'm also doing, a main okay. character and not a guest star, so... Well, yeah, I'm that. not a guest star. Absolutely. I just like the jo- jo- joining me today is like yeah I'm joining you every week motherfucker I'm right here yeah uh, um I am okay I'm not working today <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm better because I'm not working I'm playing Legend of Zelda which is very very good by the way I know you've got a Switch and I I don't know how much you play on said Switch but uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is is likely to be the best thing you've ever played just is it though well it's <sighs> We we could do a whole podcast on what Nintendo has done with this game and taken the last game and made it better and meaningful in every conceivable way and completely rejected what all the other AAA games are doing. Uh, they've reused the same space. They have added density. They uh, they're doing things that other you know IPs someone and other publishers are trying to move away from. I can't put my finger on it, but someone used to produce. A series of episodes for this podcast specifically <laughs> about gaming, and I can't uh, remember who yeah. that was. Who, who, hey, who might that have been? <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, you have a switch and you don't have Tears of the Kingdom, and it is a huge playground of physics uh, programming that interacts on a level that I have never seen in any video game in my life. And it, do you remember that first time you played Half Life Two? And you get to that first uh, physics puzzle with the barrels underwater and you have to float up the gate. And you're like, holy shit, I've never seen this before in my life. This is going to change everything. This is like that. This is like playing Portal for the first time and going, oh, okay. I was going to say, actually, that I was about to say, like, why, don't, why aren't you talking about Portal? That was that Portal blew my mind in a way that uh, yeah. Half-Life 2 never did. Um, you were a PC gamer at before me at that time wait so i played half-life on the the orange box on my xbox 360 so i i didn't have any of that fancy pc gaming stuff so that's really the first time i saw it but yeah portals is that great moment as well this is like that like the fact that they have added in uh five or six different physics interactions that would be their own game easily and made them interact with each other in a way that acts that doesn't completely destroy the game is incredible and it's hmm. brilliantly like put together it's it's mind-blowing it's a forever game i'm never gonna finish this game and i'm fine with that i mean that's good i mean I'm, i've just been playing uh now that i've had a little bit of time i've been playing uh the mass effect trilogy which i now own oh, yeah. on playstation 4 because i haven't bought a 5 and uh, I'm in the second one, which like several people have told me is one of the greatest games of all time, and um, it's good so far. I don't. 
Like I, <laughs> I imagine I, it has a lot to do with the uh, the story, and I'm only in the second one. I'm really only still in the first act of the story, so I mm-hmm. I'm not anywhere near to far enough into like judge. But like, yeah, it's good. It's a good game. I played a lot of the first one and gave up on the second one. I didn't. There's some part I can't really tell you why I didn't like the second one because it might be a bit of a spoiler, but. Um, the first one's got, I know you've just finished the first one, haven't you? Mm -hmm. It's got this really kind of, um, janky, pulpy, like sci-fi 70s pulpy book, uh, that like Mass Effect 2 is much, much shinier. It's much better produced. It's much cleaner in its systems and asks you to do a lot more things, but all those things are kind of a bit more regular. Like Mass Effect 1 is a bit weird and a bit fun. And I really, I really like that. And the Mako, uh, I've got something about controlling really like awkward vehicles that I've always really enjoyed. I was going like, to say, the, why would you like them? The Mako, the I Mako's, don't know. Oh, I hate driving. I hate driving that stupid. I, I just clicked for me. It's just like um, I I went to my friend's house once. He was trying. They'd spent all afternoon trying to do a Grand Theft Auto three mission where you fly a, a remote helicopter into a, a parkade and set a bomb off, and they couldn't do it. And I took the controller, and I just I have a thing for like precise like two stick vehicle things it's just something i really enjoy doing and um i flew it up and did the did the thing it was my um that was my uh last starfighter moment with everyone gathered around cheering as i set the bomb off with a second to spare <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the last time that happened um but no i did i enjoyed the macro and i enjoyed the the kind of um like vaseline sci-fi color of the whole thing i don't know I don't know. I maybe it's because maybe it's because two is like clearly has a ton more money and clearly came out on a newer system as well. Like yeah. the graphic yeah, upgrade yeah. is uh, pretty insanely big. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's just that I'm playing it one after the other, but like it's mm-hmm. sort of just more. It's more of the same, but two, like it adds a bunch of stuff that I guess is more. I guess the word that gamers would use would be realistic, but like I don't want to have to manage yeah. fuel of the ship. Yeah, like right. You know, yeah, and like I, I found driving the Mako around and finding. Uh, you have to like drive around and find like elements and and minerals and stuff on the planets, and that was super mm. annoying. But I don't think yeah. scanning the planet from orbit and launching a dozen probes is better. It's just different. It's just a different version of the mini game, right? So I'm. I will say that I did. I really enjoyed the story of Mass Effect One, and I hope mm-hmm. that the story of Mass Effect Two is uh also good uh, but i'm not far enough in it yet to say that it's like significantly better or worse than the first one it's just i just i'm just i'm just still playing basically yeah yeah games are weird it's interesting what we respond to do you know what i'm finding fascinating at the moment to continue our gaming podcast is that um apple uh arcade which is a really really good value uh subscription you get a bunch of um ios games that you can play on your macbooks and your ipads and your phones and the big big and your apple tv your apple tv as well that's right apple tv too yeah yeah and and lots of them are really really good and um but what i find fascinating is that they're releasing some games with like plus after them which used to be on the main app store and then they've bought them uh, exclusively and then they've re-released them but because apple arcade it, it's it's thing is that there's no in-app purchases and no ads no none of that like pay um 
free-to-play crap that usually bogs down other games. And there's a game on there called Hill Climber, which I played um, quite a lot when it first came out as a free-to-play game. And then I, I dumped it because it's a typical free-to-play game that that needs you to... Uh, it kind of feeds you little things, but then it's like, oh, if you just pay a dollar, you can do this bit or this bit. And you you basically play for a bit and you hit a wall. Like all free-to-play games, you hit a substantial wall where you can grind or you can pay. And I just hate that design. I really, really hate it. Anyway, Apple bought this game and have re-released it as Hill Climber Plus. And because they've now stripped out all the free-to-play bullshit, it is now like one of the my favorite type of games on the PlayStation 2 era, where everything is unlockable within game currency and they just keep the more you play it the more currency you get and then you can spend that currency on un- unlocking stuff so i've now been playing this game it's my go-to game at the moment god knows how many hours i've put into it because if i want to play something for five minutes i'll do a couple of runs on there and it because all the free-to-play trappings are gone it doesn't feel like a waste of time mm-hmm. so I'm, re- I'm really really fascinated by that direct comparison of my engagement with a game. Uh, I, I know en- like engagement uh, is not the same thing as making money. I'm, I'm sure that's a problem with free-to-play, but really, really in, uh, enjoying Hill Climber Plus on Apple Arcade because it feels like it's not wasting my time anymore. Yeah. Sorry, Hill Climber? Uh, what did I call it? Hill Climber. Yeah, I don't know. I just It's an app with a man with a bike. Yeah, Hill Climb Plus. Hill Climb Plus, and basically, I uh, you start with a crappy car, and you just you you kind of it's an upgrade system. But because now all the upgrades are all in game currency, they just throw it at you, and you can just play suddenly after ten rounds or so. You've got enough money, and I bought the the uh, motorbike, and then spent everything upgrading this motorbike. So I'm fully upgraded motorbike, and it's the closest to a, a mobile trials game that I've got now. And it's really good. It's really fun. It's interesting because everything you're saying for me is also correct, but um, I have been looking for a literal decade for a good solitaire game for my iPhone. Mm. And now there is one because it's on on Apple Arcade and it's called called Solitaire. And uh, they made, um, sorry, Solitaire Plus. And they made another one for the game Hearts, which is another card game that I really like called Hearts Plus. And usually those games are bogged down with like, yeah. yeah, with tons of ads and other BS, but it's nice to just like sit down and play. Um, I'm afraid you haven't mentioned the best Solitaire game, which is on Apple Arcade, which is my other favorite Apple Arcade game, which is SpongeBob Solitaire Pants, which is a, a Square Pants themed Solitaire, which is absolutely fantastic. It is so good because uh, so... it int- introduces like little mission elements as well. So I would say that's because I haven't played it, um, but I have played. There's a SpongeBob SquarePants themed uh, tennis game, which is very fun. <laughs> so you heard it here first: SpongeBob SquarePants video game hero. <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, apart from that, no. I um, we finished Princess Diaries two. That's the big thing of this week. It's oh, a yeah. lovely film. And apparently, that my my wife tells me that she said they're making a Princess Diaries three with Chris Pine and uh, Anne Hathaway. I'm like, no, no, they they don't, they can't afford them. But um, we'll I see. mean, Disney can afford whatever the hell they want to afford. Well, if it turns out like the Enchanted sequel, I hope they don't bother. 
because man, I know you haven't seen it, have you? But whew. no, I, I purposefully avoided it because of other reviews. It's really disappointing and bad. That first movie is is one of my favorite modern Disney movies, and it's really terrible. But hey, what are we talking about this week? Let's get into it. Yeah, I was going to say we already talked about um, Black Mirror and It's Always Sunny and Star Trek on the on the patron bonus show. So if you uh, if you are one of our supporters, go listen to that. And if you're not, you can join our Patreon for as little as two bucks a month and go listen to us talk about TV for like twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's good. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about two actually new movies for uh, which is fun and two big movies. Uh, the first of which is going to be the latest uh, entry into the Fast and Furious franchise, Fast 10. Um, and before we dive into that, what is what is your history with the Fast and Furious franchise? Like, what is your... Like, not just what is your favorite one, but, like, how did you come to, to watch them? Have you watched them in order? Have you watched them in timeline order? Because that is a thing in this franchise. Uh, I, I've never done the timeline watch. So I watched the first one uh, on release and was just bemused by it. I, I mean, the first one is not a good movie, and it's like John Singleton or someone. There's some pretty substantial director got involved in, in this movie series at the beginning. I forget who the director was. But, I mean, the first one is so... Uh, it's from a different franchise as everything, for like, five onwards, right? The first, So I watched the first one. I watched... The second one, which I have no memory of, I never saw Tokyo Drift. I've never, I, I've watched part of Tokyo Drift, but I turned it off because the protagonist is the guy from um, CSI Miami or one of, the, oh no, CSI New Orleans, and it's the guy. His his acting is, is just, yeah, it's like oh, he's one of those police procedurals, the Tokyo Drift guy. And he's just awful in everything. He's dreadful, dreadful actor. Really? Um, Lucas Black so, is really good in a number of things. Uh, he's on NCIS so, New Orleans. Look at that. Right. NCIS New Orleans. There you go. So I've only ever seen him in NCIS New Orleans and in um, uh, Tokyo Drift. And uh, I didn't make it through all the way through that movie. And then I kind of didn't watch anything in the franchise when Vin Diesel came back in... Let's see. Was it just called Fast and Furious? Was that the fourth one? The uh, one yeah. Vin, Vin Diesel's Grand Return. I've never seen that movie. And then I didn't see Fast Five, but I kind of... I remember watching Fast Six or Furious Six, whatever it was called, at home because I was bored and thinking, this is... What the hell is this? <laughs> I don't remember Fast and Furious being like a buddy heist movie. And... Um, love Furious 6. It's still my favorite Fast and Furious. Like, really, really love that movie. Especially as it's got a 30-kilometer like runway at the end. I, I think I'm a big sucker for any action scene on a train or chasing an airplane that's about to take off. Especially if you get on said airplane. So, uh, I really like 6. And then I, I watched... Did I watch 7? Seven and eight kind of blur to me. I didn't see the one where Charlize Theron is the baddie the first time, which I think is seven, or is that eight? Uh, that's eight. Right, so I haven't seen eight. And then uh, I watched nine and love, love nine. So I'm kind of dipping in and out, but um, 
I still need to watch five. I know I need to watch five. I think that's still your favorite, isn't it? And uh, I think it would be I, interesting must, to see the moment it changes from one thing to another. You must have seen five before. I feel like I have, but in, in the one we're talking about today, there's a really clever opening scene where they intercut, and I checked this with you, uh, the footage from five with new footage to tie in the new like characters and protagonists. And I don't remember the whole dragging the um, the vault through the city or any of that. So it's like I, it was like the first like the thing about five is that it was really the first like we're gonna do a big stupid stunt type thing. Mm-hmm. That was that was the because they Which, they take two souped up Mustangs and literally drag a, a bank vault through Rio de Janeiro. Which Hank is the one where he, the whole way. Which is the one where he crashes on one side of a highway, his car, and he flips out and he catches Lady like midair as she falls out of a tank on the other side of the highway bridge and they land perfectly fine. I feel like that's uh, six. Isn't that it? is six, yeah. That's yeah. the one where, so they, where, I, they, where they become superheroes. <laughs> yeah. F- physics, like I, I mentioned to you, there's one part in Fast X uh, where it just confirms that the laws of physics do not apply in these movies at all as does death <laughs> death doesn't apply either but um six is really i as you know from my love of of uh our recent discovery of films like um pathan and Arara, i i really like over the top when it comes to action and six is so gloriously over the top and nine is as well so the more stupid these films get the more I like them. And when I say mm. stupid, I mean in the best possible way, detached from reality. Uh, because I I am increasingly, when it comes to action movies, I'm increasingly like needing my escapism to be uh, like grander and bigger and more shocking and more like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. It's interesting because I think the other thing you're, you're not touching on that these movies share with movies like Patan and RRR and having seen a bunch more of them like, you know, X the Tiger and Tigers in the High and a bunch of, you know, basically like Indian, oh, and Bahubali as well. Um, the one thing they share with those that you're not touching on is they are utterly sincere about whatever they're doing. Like there's no, there's no like pretension. There's no like cynicism. There's no, like when Vin Diesel says, I don't got friends, I got family. Like he means it. He means it a hundred percent. There's no, there's no cynical takedown of it. There's no irony. It's just straight up. Yeah, we, you know, these movies are weirdly about love, and <laughs> like, and it just it it works because they operate on that level of sincerity, and I mm. I adore them for it. Yeah, that's a good point. And and it's uh, I think that's why this franchise has has persevered because it's obviously they're really playing up to the whole family line now. I wonder if Fast X, if the, if there's a Guinness World Record for the number of times you can say the same word in a movie, um, it's the the amount of times they say the word family in Fast X. I know it's a running joke that that's what they refer to in all the other movies, but I feel like this one movie has the same amount as all the others combined. But it is, it is very... Um, like that people want friends do you know what i mean people want a group of friends and they and people i'm definitely responding to 
a gang of friends looks out for each other, even if they're bickering it with each other. Like gang of friends helps each other. I think that's really, really compelling, uh, like story setup. And this move, these movies does that really, really well. I think there's an argument that in Fast X, that it perhaps misses that mark a little by fracturing that group off into different places. Like there's there's people in the gang who did not see each other for the entirety of that shoot, and I'm not sure that was the the right move it is very much part one of two though isn't it so or maybe even three you were saying i don't even know what their numbering system is going to turn into it's going to end up sounding like a, a final fantasy um but the i mean their numbering system has never made sense so i would not expect <laughs> it to start it was there was a sense of getting all the pieces in place for the next film if you if you get my meaning but um it does it does do that emotional side very very well and of course when paul walker died um that that had significant impact on them and on audiences as well because of how much they had emphasized like the brotherly aspect of their characters and that's i i just think it's so strange that they're still pretending he's still alive like that i think that was a I mean, you're, you're, was, getting, was... you're getting way ahead of the conversation where I thought we were going to go. Oh, are we? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Are we not uh, talking about the movie? Oh, I'm we sorry. haven't even talked about the movie you... yet. I mean... Oh, are we not talking about the movie now? No, we are, but we haven't even started yet. Like, anyway. Uh, it's a, okay, sure. Why don't you do the setup for Fast X that doesn't uh, include the word car? <laughs> that doesn't exist. You can't do that. It doesn't... <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. For me, the interesting thing about these movies... So Fast 10 follows Dom and the family, and it fully admits <laughs> that they are just super spies now, because that's what they are. Yeah. You know, they, it even acknowledges that, like, oh, they started out small time with boosting DVDs and armed armed hijackings, and now they're super spies. Like, the movie literally calls that out, which is kind of refreshing, actually, because none of the other ones have really acknowledged how low-key the first one is. Um, uh but anyway, um, and a, vil- a, a specter from their past. So in the fifth one, they rob a bank. They rob a drug kingpin um, named Reyes. And in this one, his son comes back from the past to torture them to death with an admittedly great line saying, and I'm sure it's from something else, but he, sa- he, uh, he says, never, was it never accept death when suffering is due? And so yeah. Jason Momoa shows up to make Dom and the family suffer. And he does so delightfully for two hours and 20 minutes, basically. Um, and yeah, I was just going to say that I think that this, these movies are entirely sincere. And I think that the way that Jason Momoa has integrated into them uh, really 100% works. He is operating on a wavelength, I think, un- unlike any villain we've quite seen before, even though it does definitely skirts up against some pretty uncomfortable queer villain stereotypes. <laughs> um, but I think he skirts that line pretty well. I don't know. How did you feel about that? Uh, so I, I mean, Momo is just having the time of his life in this movie. I mean, yeah, he is legitimately and great he, in this movie. He, and I had a theory that every, that this film was shot sequentially and, Every time it was one of his scenes, the director said, you know what, Jason, let's just go 25% camper. Just Let's just build on what <laughs> you're doing because I love what you're doing. Let's make it slightly more gay. Um, because at the beginning of this movie, he's 
Uh, it's pretty gruff. And then he gets, he has a good time blowing up, um, trying to blow up Italy. And then every time, and then it just gets incrementally like more and more camp. And Momoa is absolutely 100% there for all of it. Until at the end of it, he's literally dancing around going, here we go, which is the best line in any Fast and Furious movie today. Um, he, I, I don't, uh, I I think it's I don't have any problem with it being a, a, like a camp stereotype when he does it this well. And what's really interesting about Momoa as well, you pointed this out before we started recording, is that he still looks like an absolute badass, even with his his hair and pigtails and painted nails and literally dancing around to Swan Lake, which I really really enjoyed. But he's still got this very 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 dangerous element and it's actually very hard to be campy and dangerous at the same time without it coming across as pantomime and uh i love what he did with it i love it and what i think as well what what you didn't get because clearly the rock fucking hates everything about vin diesel and i'm sure it's reciprocated but vin diesel's like if you've seen him at the um the premieres vin diesel's an absolute goof nerd like he is he is a giggly, kind of awkward schoolboy who gets to make, who gets to do dress up and, and dragon movies and card movies. And honestly, Fast and Furious is as much a fantasy movie now as Dungeons and Dragons, like completely. And um, I, I think it's pretty evident that he and Momoa got on like a house on fire because they have a really, really great energy between them when they're on screen and. And uh, Momoa just gives, gives, gives for the whole movie, and you gotta love him for that. I mean, I, I, I will go so far as to say that I disagree that he's gruff at gruffer at any point in this movie because his first scene, I mean, he shows up uh, and takes over Charlie's there Cipher Charlie's Theron's um, whole operation, and he does so by basically blackmailing everyone in her operation, except for the one guy who couldn't get any dirt on, who he knifes to death and then, like, licks the knife clean and is like, eh, <laughs> all of these guys have families except for that poor guy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like, there's no point in this where he's not fully fully on board with the flamboyance of the character. And what I find really interesting is that, like, 99% of the marketing, including, I was saying what you were talking about, I was saying before was because of the marketing stills which I've downloaded. Every single one of them makes him look like this gruff badass. Yeah, this is a movie that at one point has him in like pom-pom pigtails in a fluffy <laughs> pink robe and sandals doing the nails of two guards that he's killed. And like it's it's one of the funniest things I think they've ever ever done because he's so just in on it. Um, yeah. But I, I mean I, the I, other thing is that if you come to these movies for a sense of like real world logic, they've abandoned. They've long since abandoned that, right? Yes, like this, these. What's impressive to me is that they have managed to maintain their own internal logic, and so the external logic of the world doesn't actually matter, right? <laughs> um, I mean, totally. I mean, the, like think about it. Like in in a lot of these movies, you know, there'll be a bad guy uh, who ends up being on the team in the next movie. Like that's a thing that's happened multiple times. Like Gal Gadot was a, was an antagonist in four, and then she's on the team in five, and yeah. um, it's in uh, you know 
who am I thinking of? Jason Statham. He's the bad guy in seven. He's on the team in in uh, eight and nine and ten and got a spinoff. Oh, and so good. and Charlie Theron was the bad guy in eight, and she's not exactly a good guy, but she's on the wow. team in nine and ten. Like she's she's still around, and they're still working with her. Like it's it, the the movie seems to recognize that what people want to see from it is a bunch of famous people doing ridiculous. I shows. know the cast is so fucking loaded now; it's yeah. ridiculous. And even There's even so the Rock, Oscar- even yeah. the Rock, is the antagonist in in. Um, in five, he's the one of the antagonists in five, and he's he joins the team. He actually joins early. He joins the team at the end of five. <laughs> <It's just> a, <laughs> he gets in on that action. Yeah. the the uh, The number of Oscar winners in the Fast franchise now is pretty uh, immense. And, I mean, this uh, one features li- literal two literal living legends in Rita Moreno and um, Helen Mirren, who both show up to give just the jankiest dialogue. Um, yeah. But you don't care because it's just, again, it's all operating on this weird sincerity level that manages to work regardless. And and because of that, like, I don't believe when, when The Rock and Vin had their beef, like, all I've ever heard about Vin is that he is the most welcoming, nicest person. Like, if Helen Mirren says he's a nice guy, I believe Helen Mirren over The Rock. And uh, I think it shows when you've got... Um, someone like Charlize Theron who turns up in this movie for ostensibly a cameo a a couple of fighting cameos and in fact there's so many people in this movie now anyone who isn't Vin and the gang is a cameo and her scenes she has an action scene near the beginning which is one of my favorite like fight scenes that I've ever seen Charlize Theron do it's really well directed but she she really really gives herself into it as well and I think that's really indicative of the kind of group that Vin Diesel has worked to kind of construct to make these movies. Everyone's just wants to turn up and have a good time. And I think that um, that's a good sign that the set's a good place to be. Yeah. And are there four Oscar winners now? There's four Oscar winners. There's Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren, Rita Moreno, Brie Larson and Charlie Theron are all yeah. Oscar winners. Right. And honestly, like, I 100% agree. Like, if it's clear that these movies are a place people want to be. In fact, mm. I've seen, I saw a behind the scenes interview with Brie Larson where she just talked about how excited she was to, to join the franchise. Like, yeah. that she's heard nothing. I, th- I think the problem, as evidenced by Black Adam, is that The Rock is a bit of an egomaniac. It's <laughs> an understatement. And, you know, he's, he tried, you know, word is that he tried to reshape the DCEU around himself and it didn't, it didn't work. And mm-hmm. he was clearly trying to be the main character of the Fast franchise as well, which was never going to happen. And uh, that's probably where all that conflict came from. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he'll be back. They always come back. It's I don't want him to come back. I know he's Black Adam has sure been humbling for him. And we know that he's back because he's told us he's coming back to the, to the franchise. But... Yeah, I, but uh, everyone in the family deserves that. a second chance, Simon. That's what families <laughs> do. You know, people make mistakes uh, and then they apologize and then they come back. That's how family works. See, that's another reason why they should have killed Paul Walker in character as well. Oh, yeah. So this, uh, it this... doesn't make any sense to me that his wife is in mortal danger. His brother from another mother is in mortal danger. And he's just off, what, babysitting still? They can't keep saying he's babysitting. Yeah, so this is one thing I, wanted, I sort of stopped you earlier. I wanted to talk about in more depth. And that I do feel like these films 
since I guess eight is the last one he was in. Mm. These films definitely have a Brian sized hole in them. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense that Dante would be so focused on Dom because Dom and Brian A were partners, like they're co-leaders of the team. B, they both drove the cars that stole the bank and like it doesn't make sense that Brian wouldn't be there for this one. It didn't make sense in nine. Um and it didn't really make sense in eight. I guess seven was the last one he was in. It didn't really make sense in eight or nine that he wasn't there. But it really doesn't make sense that he that this one, which is, you know, has direct consequences from one where he was the protagonist. Um, yeah. It really doesn't make sense that he's not there. And it also, I find it really jarring. So in this one, in uh, we found out a couple of movies ago that Dom has a son. Um, and it's at the end of the last one where he comes home to the family and they hold him up and they announce that his name is Brian. And this one, they refer to Brian as Lil B. I guess to differentiate between young Brian, who's named after Paul Walker's character, um, in memory of Paul Walker. But now it's just super awkward to me that they're like, oh, it's little B because he's named after his uncle in memoriam, but he's still alive. Like, it doesn't make... It would make more sense if they'd called him Paul. It would, it would just be less awkward if they'd called the kid Paul. Right. You know what I mean? But it wouldn't make sense in-universe, and it doesn't make sense out-of-universe. It just becomes this really awkward touch point. And you're right, like, it doesn't make sense to me that Jordana Brewster would show up in this movie without him. It doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't make it, sense at all. So there's this giant hole, and I I get not wanting to recast the character uh, with a new actor. Yeah. But maybe they should. And also, it would have really added the whole thing is about his whole arc now is I'm scared of losing people, and it. I, I think they probably realized they made the right call as well. And they had to make the call very, very quickly, which is to keep the franchises together as much as possible. And I think going back now, they probably would have written them out um, and, and had him die because Vin Vin's character now is, uh, is so scared of losing his son, scared of losing his wife, losing his best friend would have been a great way to really solidify what they're already doing with the movies anyway. And there's a, a really, there's a, a very moving moment, actually, where he um, he is talking to Daniela Mel- Melchior, I think that's how you say her name, and he um, she's she talks about how scared she was of losing people, and he's got this line that's something about yeah, I know it's tough. I've lost people too. We've all lost someone in the family, and he's there's no fourth wall at that moment. Like Vin Diesel looks genuinely upset. The audience knows exactly what he's talking about it would have made so much more sense for it to be in universe as well. Um, but they're still having to make excuses for why he's not there. And it just doesn't make sense that yeah. he's been there. He's been ride or die up to that moment until he's like, well, no, actually I'm not, I'm out now. Like, it doesn't make yeah. any sense I'm a stay at home dad. And also the bad guys aren't going to come after me. Like it doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. And like, again, like I know there's this whole thing about recasting people in major franchises, but I feel like just as a society, we should be less afraid of doing that. Uh, I know we get really attached mm. to performers and, and you see this a lot with the, anytime anyone gets suggests that a major character in the MCU be recast, it's a whole discussion. And I know there was, you know, a, uh, debatably not, I mean, not debatably, but not recasting princess Leia, general Leia for mm. the rise of Skywalker was a mistake. Like, not recasting her, but keeping her in the story was a mistake. Mm. And 
I just feel like we need to be less afraid of doing that. We can't. What am I trying to say? The uh, we never be afraid to recast Hamlet, right? And I'm not trying to say that the Fast and the Furious is Hamlet, although there's definitely a case to be made that it is Shakespearean. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we just need to be less. We just need to grow less attached to people as specific characters. Is what I'm trying to say, because it's it's causing harm to the stories as a result. And uh, I think Paul Walker in these movies, or Paul Walker not being in these movies, is uh, the best example of that. Yeah. No, I agree totally. I it's weird because when we were young, people in TV shows and movies got recast all the time. It was just a normal thing that happened. In fact, one one of my favorite things as a kid was watching shows that kind of winked the audience when someone changes like i don't know i'm sure you've seen it when um aunt, aunt hillary gets recast in fresh prince and jazzy jeff comes in and talks to her in the kitchen it's like and then he turns back and he's like is there something different about you and she's like no and it cuts to will smith like looking directly at camera like shifty eyes directly at camera like mm-hmm. it used to be used to be a pretty normal thing and and uh if not recast then have the 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 balls to write him out and give him a send off for real instead of pretending that he's off somewhere I don't know yeah. and you're you're totally you're totally right about Princess Leia um, Star Wars is a whole different beast as well though because they we we've had this discussion about Tarkin and Rogue One a few times I don't have I think Tarkin is fine in Rogue One I also think the actor that they voiced him like your point that they should have just recast him with the guy who's already doing the voice who looks like Tarkin. I, mm-hmm. I I think the argument for that I see both sides, but the in the the Mandalorian was it the Mandalorian where they brought out young Luke and recently they showed the actor who was the stand-in for the CGI terrible Luke face who looks exactly like Mark Hamill at that age. It's like, yeah. what are you What are you doing? Like, slapping these terrible deep fakes over well, there's people. Always, that, that there's could always a like better him. choice, right? There's, there's always a better choice. They could have made The Rise of Skywalker better. And don't tell me Disney couldn't afford this, because mm. famously, every actor has their price, right? They could have backed mm. a dump truck for, uh, full of money uh, onto Meryl Streep's lawn and said, do you want to be Princess Leia? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially since Meryl Streep played the character in the movie that's, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Carrie Fisher wrote a movie called Postcards from the Edge, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And basically Meryl Streep plays Carrie Fisher in that movie. So that would have been perfectly meta. Sebastian Stan exists, and he already works for Disney. I know. And, and he looks exactly like young. So much like him. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, Maybe there's no one who looks like Paul Walker, but Paul Walker's brothers did a pretty good job subbing in for him, admittedly with deep faked faces. Yeah. Um, but like, just train one of them to act. Like it's it's acting is a learned skill. It's not an innate talent. You could you could find someone to be Brian, and if yeah. like Sensei did this, they had a character um, who changed actors between seasons, and the way they introduced him in season two is. Uh, someone just says like you look different and he's like really really backlit and then he becomes into focus and into proper lighting and he goes yeah i had a haircut and that's it and we all just move on from that point right and you're right aunt viv in in um 
uh, Fresh Prince, and even like everyone loves Mark Ruffalo, but that used to be Edward Norton. Yeah. Right. And they're not. And they're, uh, you know, you know, uh, was it William Hurt played Thunderbolt Ross in the Marvel movies? And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some controversy there because it turns out maybe he was a piece of crap. But also, they're just recasting Thunderbolt Ross for the next Captain America movie with Harrison Ford. Like, again, they can afford, these companies can afford to back a dump truck full of money onto somebody's lawn to make this happen and to make mm. the stories better as a result. And that's well, this, that's just where this, I'm at with it. This is a medium where you've got Kate Blanchett playing Bob Dylan. Like, this is, pe- audience can accept, like, even crazy not just recast, but crazy versions of people. Like I, and you're totally right. They, they seem to be so risk adverse and they're leaning so much on the technology that really doesn't, it isn't there. <laughs> like for me, I don't think even now the, um, all these AI, all this AI crap on Twitter is like, look, look how well we can do John Lennon, like mouthing the words of this commercial. And it's the worst, the shittiest version of a deep fake John Lennon you've ever seen in your life. Well, it's all, and it it's all like, is just it's so, it's all just so soulless and yeah. empty, right? Like it's, yeah. and cynical. That's what it, it's a very, very cynical approach. And I don't yeah. like it. But, I mean, if we get back to the film, <laughs> which we just probably should actually talk about the film at some point as well. The I uh, I loved the first act. When when Vin's being like smiley daddy soft Vin, I want to see way more of that. Oh, I would, so, I, so cheesy, but you're not wrong. So it was just lovely just to see this character that's always so gruff. I will say the, the first collective... The first collective laugh in the theater I was in, in the cinema I was in, is in the first act where he's at home and he's talking to Han. And I can't remember what Han says, um, but then Vin turns to Vin and he goes, yeah, that's fatherhood. And like <laughs> the way he <laughs> delivered that line did cause a collective. And like, and it's like, again, it's ridiculous, but it's also so sincere that it doesn't really yeah, matter. Like we're not laughing. Totally. At, we're laughing with him, not at him. Right. Totally. That, that that first whole thing where it turns out there's a bit of a setup and they've all some one part of the gang has gone to Italy and then they realize they all have to go to Italy and then you get a fantastic scene in Italy, even though the CG is really really quite bad throughout and the cars have no gravity to them whatsoever. Um or, or no like physical gravity to them. But I, I remember texting you at forty minutes in just like I am having I am loving this movie with every ounce of my being like i just i love i loved it when charlie's theron turned up it was at the moment he was like everything's gonna be fine now and then the music changed and he looks at a dog barks he looks out the window and he's like oh shit's gonna go down the, 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 the vin, like his fin action uh radar's going off and charlie's turns up and enemies to friend the enemy of my enemy is you like what a line oh <laughs> uh, yeah and, such a good such a good twist on that line too yeah 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 and i was like i love this film i love what this film's doing like completely i'm there and they gotta go and save each other and i did like ropey cgi aside i loved the uh the bike i love bikes and cars together and that whole scene in italy is just great it's just so stupid it's so great and then i felt the the middle third where the they, they split everyone off. So Cena's doing something and then Taj and the gang are doing something else, uh, which which was didn't quite work for me. I mean, you and didn't then, like it when they separated all the people of color into their own story? <laughs> <laughs> they separated the family and I don't think they should have. And 
Um, Momo does his best, and Momo is an absolute gift in this movie. But I thought, I thought the third act kind of fell apart under its own weight. It couldn't possibly keep the momentum of what had come before it, and it was. uh, It's really part. It's very clearly part one. It ends like on a major cliffhanger. It doesn't really even tie up Empire Strikes Back style. It's it's uh, it's really the first part of something. It's episodic cinema. And yeah. uh, I, I, I think the third, the third act couldn't really hold it down at all. But I, I still enjoyed it. Not the level to that I enjoyed nine. But that's the point. When you go into, once you've been into space, right? Once you've had your Moonraker moment, where is, where else is there to go? Like, and it turns out they didn't really know how to answer that question either. Like, what do you think? Uh, I mean. In terms of the stunts, they're never going to top taking a Pontiac Fiero into space. It's just not a thing <laughs> you can do. Um, so I think they tried to double down on making the the villain a little a little more actually personal this time, which I think was a good choice. And at the end of the day, you're right; it's very part one. We're not going to get part two until I think twenty early twenty twenty five. Yeah. So I I feel like the end of the movie, the third act of the movie. If I have a problem with it, is that it's kind of just a little bit too much. It's like Dom gets away, and then Dante says, "You're right where I want you," and then he gets away, and then Dante says, "You're right where I want you again," and then he gets away for another time, and then Dante shows up and goes, "Goes guess where you are right now? Right where I want you." Like it's just the same thing, kind of over and over and over again. And I don't know, it doesn't. It's not great, but I also feel like these movies are kind of beyond criticism at a certain point (laughs) you're not going to these because you want to watch you know Macbeth you're going to these because you want to see cars and bikes and butts and Vin Diesel say family and you want to have a a good time with people who all they really seem to care about is giving you a good time and I think the movie's generally successful at that yeah I, 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 I honestly the only thing I think hinders it is that it tries to be Everyone wants to be a fucking endgame these days. Like Transformers wanted to be endgame. I feel like this is Fast X trying to end the the because this was this is the end of the the franchise, right? Whatever this movie and the next movie are meant to be is meant to be the end. And maybe you were saying it, it might be two more movies after this to end the franchise. And I think they they overshot like they they blew their load a little too enthusiastically trying to uh, I mean, trying to do this i think there's a lot to be said for a self-contained story and i i think what i've realized with the fast movies is that i want a beginning a middle and an end i don't this is not a movie franchise that benefits from cliffhangers <laughs> do you know what i mean i want dog yeah. to ride off into the distance with the family and we, and I want to end up maybe going, yeah, fuck yeah, everyone, the family's back together, everyone's fine. That until until next time, kids. Yeah. Um. So yeah. And not to I, not to spoil it, but there is definitely like there's characters coming back for the next one that we haven't seen in a while for various yeah. death related reasons, which only <laughs> <Yes>. goes, which, <laughs> which which really only goes to uh, take us back to that Paul Walker conversation too. Like it's right, it's exactly frustrating. There is there is a, a genuine moment in this movie. I'm try, how do I say this without spoiling it? There's you a moment in this movie where I'm like, don't. 
that that's that's not possible. <laughs> like that's how how are they going to explain that in the next one? Because it's not possible. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, anyway, I'm sure it doesn't matter really in the long in the long run, does it? It doesn't matter at all. It's no. I mean, if these movies can. These movies are already miraculous in that they can kind of make Scott Eastwood look cool. So, uh, and seem oh. like so. Oh my god! So this is my problem with the movie. This franchise has a serious problem with pl- like white guys who can't act. Like, what is the problem? If Scott Eastwood in, in the last one, he's kind of fine in this, but he's only in it for like twelve minutes anyway. But in this movie, fucking what's his name? Are you talking the about dude- the agency guy? Yeah. Alan, Alan Richson, yeah. Richson. Oh my God. The scene between him and Bree uh, at the beginning is just awful. He, this guy would not know how to fucking act if his life depended on it. He is, I've seen like planks of wood more animated than this guy. He I was going to say, got... he, he's definitely the, the weak link in this particular chain and all, but it doesn't help that <laughs> literally, not literally, but almost all of his dialogue is expository. Like it's not right. like he's never actually having to do anything other than explain to the audience something that's happening. And, and he's so bad, but he's bad at even just that. Like, and he does, he does have uh, there. I can say another, another collective laugh is so he's the head of the agency. And, uh, at one point, Dom, the Dom goes with the agency, he like surrenders to them and then they get attacked. And then after the, they sort of fend off the attack, he says like, okay, I'm on. Basically, he says, "Okay, I'm on your side now," and like it caused a collective laugh in the, in the cinema because yeah. everyone was just like, "What the fuck? Like, what is this? Yes. Like, what is happening?" Because yeah, yeah, he's awful. He's absolutely awful, and and it doesn't help that he's the mirror of what Momoa is doing. And I'm sure I would love to see the making of this because I'm pretty convinced Momoa improvised a ton of add-ons to his lines. There's one, probably my favorite line of the movie, apart from let's go is um, where one guy, one guy dies heroically and Momoa is with a member, uh, a member of the team and revels it. It's like, oh, he didn't like that. And then he cuts to me and goes, of course, yeah, it's still very heroic. And it just cuts away. <laughs> and, <I'm> just like, <laughs> and like, I just love how he is adding color to this. And Alan Richardson is the opposite of that. And everyone else is is doing their best. Like, I don't think Brie Larson's especially good in this, but um, I love what they've done. In the last movie, John Cena's character, Jacob, is an absolute psychopath driven by rage and revenge. In this movie, he's he's been released from that. He's just a goofy uncle who's really fucking goofy. Well, but they and, forgave him at uh, the end of the last movie, Simon. They forgave him because he's family. <laughs> and again, that's what families do. It's the power of the cookout. Obviously, that barbecue had some power. I just, I got the feeling with Jacob is that he's this boy that's been released from an adulthood of rage and is now just a gleeful boy again. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, really like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should probably at least start to wrap this up. We're definitely oh. running way long on this. but Sorry. Um, it's a lot to talk about. Go I mean, watch it's it. Lo- it's, it's a good. lot to talk about. It's a two and a half hour movie and it's full of ridiculousness and yeah. uh, also wonderfulness. And uh, if I would say... I know, Simon, I know you. It's already on demand, so I know you watched it at home, but I saw it in a, in a yeah. cinema, and I would say if you get yeah. the chance, like, this is a yeah. cinema movie. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's big and bombastic, and there's huge explosions, and there's uh, cars playing pinball with naval mines, yeah. and it's uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a whole thing. 
It's the closest any um, American studio is getting to the wonders of Indian action movies, and that should be welcomed and embraced. Mm. Um, it's it's yeah, you can't really if you're looking for something with a bit of popcorn and a drink, and it's on demand, you really can't do much worse at the moment. Yeah, and how many stars for you? It's a three star movie. Like yeah. nine, nine was four, and this isn't as good as nine for me. So it's three stars. Yeah, that's about right for me too. Three stars. Um, and uh, like I say, though, like I feel like these movies are. I'm just gonna repeat. Like, I feel like they're a little bit beyond criticism, right? Like they're, you know, exactly what you're gonna get when you go to see them, and so you should go and see them for that reason. Yeah, that's that's, that's all I got. <laughs> it does. It does give you. It does give give the people what they want for sure. They're not trying to yeah. do anything that they found their formula now and they're going to stick to it. Damn it. Whatever it takes. Yeah, pretty much. Right. So, so should we move on to another movie? We're probably going to have a hard time God. containing ourselves. Oh, about. We haven't even started talking about this one. Oh God. Yeah. We're an hour in folks. So strap in. Um, so let's move yeah. on um, to our next movie, which is now, now in theaters. And that is the, um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is a return to, of Miles Morales from my favorite movie of 2018, which was Into the mm -hmm. Spider-Verse. Um, why don't you give us just the, the briefest of rundowns? Um, so, uh, in Across the Spider-Verse, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know where to begin. Gwen Stacy, uh, is uh, involved in uh, uh, keeping the peace as usual. So Gwen, Gwen Stacy has found it hard to kind of integrate her Spider-Woman uh, personal personality with her real-life personality, and it's caused fissures with her friends and, of course, with um, the death. As we found out in the previous movie, her Peter Parker died um, and we learn more about that, and it's it's affecting her relationship with her police chief dad as well. And through a, an initial fight with a returning um, universe baddie, which is fantastic, like the whole movie is fantastic, she learns that since the end of the last movie, Spider-Man 2099, uh, Miguel O'Hara it, it has been using the timey-wimey open door portals to try and fix the fishes in time and she's recruited into that gang of spider-men as you can see in the in the trailer spider people to uh fix the fishes in time that were caused by the explosion of uh winston fisk's um generator thing and um Miles becomes obviously involved in this as well. And of course, Miles is a bit more grown up now. He's also trying to balance his Spider-Man responsibilities, school responsibilities, family and all this. And all these worlds collide, uh, literally. And Miles gets involved in something very, very sinister. And there's lots of questions about we're, we're the good guys and what does that mean? What does that mean if we're the good guys? What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? And... Uh, that's all really I want to say without spoiling anymore. It's an exploration of what it means to be the good guy, what it means to have each other's backs. And the whole thing is just animated like nothing you've ever seen in your life, even if you've seen the first one. And uh, this one, I will say, has gives more time to character 
more time to dialogue so it does feel slower in parts than the first one but when you get to the end of that movie you realize once you see the full shape of this movie you realize why some bits felt slow um Mm -hmm. i will say it does one of my absolute favorite narrative uh musical narrative things which is bookend this movie is bookended by a certain uh music element that basically i have listened to over and over and over and over and uh, full body uh goosebumps just it's an incredible experience it's an incredible movie and even after the first one it's mind-blowing how they've managed to make something so beautiful I mean, yeah, everything you said is accurate so far. Um, it's uh, gorgeous. It's extremely well written. It does feel like at two hours and twenty minutes, I believe it is. Um, it does start to feel a little bit on the long side, or it did for me, anyway. And like the previous movie we talked about, it definitely ends on a on a reveal and a cliffhanger, and it's definitely like part one of two. Like it does resolve some of the ongoing character stuff, but it it is definitely part one. It's part one of two for Miles, and it it resolves the plot for the main part of the plot for Gwen anyway. Um, but so your mileage is going to vary a little bit, but like that's like saying for me, I I, th- I still think I prefer the first one, but that's like saying you know technically speaking amazing isn't quite as good as fantastic right like it doesn't like they're both incredible films um and this film does definitely takes animation to another level like you were talking about um even compared to the first one which already took it to another level like you can already see the influence of the first one in all kinds of other animated properties um and this one just takes it a step further gwen's universe in particular um it like the coloring of that universe reacts to her mood in a way that is just uh you just can't get in a live action film and i don't think i've ever seen before in an animated film and then the film also has in a way that um other films don't the film this film has uh the balls to sort of call out its own fans too it's hard to talk about without spoiling too much but there becomes this whole idea that the the Spider-Verse, the multiverse is sort of falling apart. And that's what Spider-Man 2099, what Miguel is trying to um, fix. Um, and the reason it's falling apart is that every universe apparently needs to have these like defining events that happen. And the question becomes, should they or shouldn't they? And it's it's a, not a very subtle direct to audience for the wrong kind of fan. <laughs> Uh, it's, oh, it's so hard to explain without like yeah. basically giving away the whole thing, but there's basically a giant middle finger to the type of fan that would react poorly to a black Latino Spider-Man. This movie has something to say about that kind of person, mm-hmm. basically. Um, or to a Spider-Woman, or to any kind of, quote, you know, what the wrong kind of person would call wokeness. This film definitely has something to say to you and it's not subtle about it and i really really like that i really like when media has the the balls to just to 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 do the thing rather than skirt around it and this film does a really really good job of doing that and then we also get to meet a whole bunch of new spider-man um we get uh 
um, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but uh, Havitur Prabhakar, uh, who is an Indian Spider-Man. We get Hobie Brown, who's oh, Spider-Punk, so um, both of whom are animated, again, in their own style, just like in the first movie. Spider-Man 2099 is, again, in his own style, just like the first movie. Um, I would say that there's a little bit less distinction in styles, especially between uh, Miles and Gwen and Miguel. Like they seem to be, their universes are fairly close. But uh, Spider Punk and Indian Spider Man are just wonderfully out there. Uh, and there's an early fight with a villain who seems to be from a universe that's entirely um, like Da Vinci drawings. Da Vinci oh, sketches and it's so yeah. incredible and it they do amazing. and they mix the animation styles so mm -hmm. seamlessly whilst also showing seams because they're so different and everyone acknowledges that like it's it's mm -hmm. it's just on another level of filmmaking yeah. and even though i like the first one better i would say that if this one if the next one sticks the landing then a it'll be an amazing five-hour experience and B, mm -hmm. we will be in in like greatest trilogy of all time territory, mm -hmm. like in that conversation anyway. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really interesting comparison to Fast X as well, where I don't I I, I don't think it suited its cliffhanger ending. I feel exactly the opposite for Across the Spider Verse. The the cliffhanger. It's the reason why the movie feels long is that my um, I don't disagree with you that it does feel a bit overlong because we're so used to movies having very defined acts. And at one point, my wife leaned over and went, it's really long, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, it is. It is quite long. But we were, what we didn't know at the time was that it was almost finished. Mm -hmm. Because what, what feels like the beginning of the third act is the end of the movie. And Oh, yeah. The, it's, a definite, the, it's a definite like hard ending in the middle I of the story. Yeah. And what's more successful for me is that because for me, this felt like Gwen's movie as much as Miles's movie. And she is the bookend of this movie. And much like, like they've talked about Empire. I know it's an easy comparison, but they've talked about it being their Empire Strikes Back in terms of a successful cliffhanger that tells its own story, but still makes you want to go to see the next one. And I feel like this completely stuck that landing the way they tied in Gwen's uh, musical kind of affinities at the beginning to show her uncertainty and they used the same thing at the end to show her action was just like, I I've felt like standing and cheering. It was absolutely visceral reaction for me. And I thought it was really, really successful in being its own movie but still being the first part of what is uh, going to be a trilogy. They've said the next one is the last one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't wait to see it again. I'm going to definitely make time to see it in IMAX because now I know the shape of that movie and, and how it's built and what it's leading towards. I think I'm going to enjoy it even more. And I already think I, it's my favorite out of the two so far. Hmm. I just thought it was mind mind blowing, and I really really liked what they did with the main antagonist as well. In oh, the, I was going to say with the, the we haven't even talked about the spot who is yeah kind of wonderful actually yeah. from start to finish, and and it do, it handles its antagonist in a way that I haven't seen before. In that the the arc of the antagonist is huge, and goes from one thing to another thing 
in a believable way, but and also a really scary way as well. Um, well, he's also um, like wonderfully performed by Jason Schwartzman. Jason as well. I mean, the voice acting in this is sensational. Everyone in this is just so perfectly cast, and the voice acting is great. And I especially loved. Uh, sorry, I don't know his name. The guy from Deadpool who was Spider-Man India. Uh, oh, Karan, Karan Sony. Karan yeah, Sony. he's so good. So, so I saw him in something about a year ago where he played that typical uncertain uh, Indian-speaking uh, English, very similar to Ted Ball character. And I remember clearly saying to you, I can't wait to see him in something where he's not that character because I feel like he's really, really good. And... When I saw it was him voicing Sp- uh, Spider-Man India, I was so, so happy. And I saw the name after the fact because his vo- voice acting of the character is so different. It's so kind of cheeky and confident and upbeat. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it, I loved, loved that character. Really loved that character. And was very happy to see him as a, a thread throughout this movie. And uh, just... Yeah. Uh, there's Jordan... Sorry, Jorma. I just want to mention Jorma Takone as well uh-huh. uh, as the the Da Vinci uh, notes baddie uh, at the beginning, who has one brilliant line delivery that is uh, because he's such a good comic actor as well. Sorry, you were saying. I was going to say, yeah, um, the uh, yeah Jorma Takone also great. Uh, I'd also like to call out. Um, totally underrated character actor Shea Wiggum, who plays Gwen's dad in Gwen's universe. He's so good as Captain Stacy. Um, but like, pretty much literally everyone in this movie who has a voice role is great. Like, mm-hmm. I think Andy Samberg as Ben Riley is. Yeah. I'm not, for anyone who knows anything about Ben Riley as a character, like that is pitch perfect casting. Um, uh, it's interesting how many of the characters from the previous film we didn't get in this one, but all the important ones are there and you know, they're going to be back in the third one. But I, I, I like that though. Like I like that they decided to make it bigger, make the universe bigger, make there be more different characters rather than, mm-hmm. um, than just try and stick to the same ones. Cause that's so often yeah. the mistake, right? Like that's our complaint. Our biggest complaint about star Wars is they keep not making the universe yeah. bigger. Right. And this one yeah, seems yeah. to go to extra steps to make the universe bigger and brighter and more vibrant. Like yeah, yeah. there's a T-Rex Spider-Man and a car Spider-Man in this movie. <laughs> Pizza parked car. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I, and, and they, even, only... they even got Yuri Lowenthal to come in and do a voice cameo as Peter Parker from the P from the PlayStation Spider-Man games, which is oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> and there's, there's a, more than one live action cameo that makes it clear that all of the mm-hmm. Spider-Man universes are included mm-hmm. in this film. And yes, I, I love that about it. We haven't even, we haven't even mentioned Haley Stanfield just being so perfect. What I really liked, I mean, it was in the first one as well, but the animators really get her delivery style. And I think she's a fascinating actor because she can do, if you watch Bumblebee or Hawkeye or, or really anything she's done, she's got this fantastic kind of under undercurrent of when she says something. It's like she has so much like uh, subtext to when she delivers a line with her tone and sometimes with her words as well. And it that works so well for Gwen Stacy and she's got great range as well and there's a that she freaks out in this movie and she's got 
a great upper scale. She's got great, like, calm voice as well. And she's a brilliant actor. So I'm so happy that her talent is so well portrayed as in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we could just go on and on and on about the <clears throat> about the voice cast. Like, Spider Punk is yeah. Daniel Kaluuya, and that is just as great as you think it would be. Mm-hmm. And yes. Miguel O'Hara is Oscar Isaac, also oh, just as great as you God. thought it would be. Issa oh, Rae is, is just Drew. And again, if you know anything about Issa Rae, just as great as you think it would be. Um, yeah. There's there's no bad choices when it comes to the casting, uh, and there's only, only seem to be pretty much good choices when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. the plotting and the and the animation. Yeah, and I mean, so and we haven't even talked about the whole fact that like this, Gwen's story is very transcoded and in a wonderfully progressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a big twist at the end, which if you're paying attention you will definitely see coming from a mile away. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still so like wonderfully executed and like, for lack of a better way to say it, shot. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that it, it still manages to have impact, even though, again, if you're, if you're paying attention to what's happening in the film, like you will see it coming, but it still manages to be impactful. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not sure I can talk about on air. One of my absolute favorite story decisions in this movie uh, because it is a major, major, major spoiler. But no, so uh, can't then. <laughs> the, the thing, the thing, there's the thing they decided to do. I thought was just fucking genius, and I'll tell you about that when we hang up. But mm-hmm. I mean, what, what? I'm not sure. There's much more we can even say about this film without because there's so many elements to it that you could spoil that uh, uh, make it work so beautifully. Um, for me, the, everything is better in this movie. Like the time given to the characters, the animation, the beats, the danger. Um, I do love the first movie, but this one hit me on a whole different level, especially the music in this film is unbelievable. Not just the music they use in their story beats, but the Daniel Pemberton soundtrack is just like amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out of superlatives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Like again, even if I'm going to say that I prefer the first one still, like mm-hmm. that doesn't make this one not one of the best films of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So do with that uh, information what you will. Well, <laughs> <laughs> how many stars for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? I wonder. Uh, I'm going to say that for me it's four, and I'm going to guess for you it's five. That silence is me uh, being right. <clears throat> wow i did not see that coming um you didn't see that coming <laughs> terrible terrible film um i it's a five-star movie all day all night for me yep that's amazing yeah, that's fine it's, it is one that again like when i get a chance to see it a few more times um it might go up but i i have a sneaking suspicion that if they stick the landing with the third one, then collectively. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause it does end. it ends in the middle of the second act or at the end of this. I mean, it ends in the middle of <laughs> yeah. the story. It ends literally yeah. in the middle of the story and it doesn't, it's not bad. It's uh, it's great. And I'm sure I'll come to appreciate it more, but if, if they stick the landing with the third one, it's definitely going to be one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Also in love with the whoever plays uh, Rita, his mum. Completely in love with her. Oh yeah, the voice she, actor. Her Who's name that? is um, Luna Lauren Velez, and she 
anyone would know her. If you're going to know her from anything, it's probably that she was the police captain that Dexter worked for in Dexter. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's she's a great actress. She's been in a bunch of other stuff too, but that's probably uh-huh. that's definitely the role I know her most from. Sweet. Yeah. Well, yes. Good. Um, okay, yeah. so we should Good. probably wrap it up there. Yeah, we're only we're only a little bit over time, but there's only so much you can say about this movie, so that makes sense. Um, just because we don't want to spoil the experience for you, go yeah. see it on the biggest screen you can find it on, uh, and pre-order the 4K Blu-ray. Is yes, the, that's the way we support things. Um, but we're going to wrap it up there. Um, I don't know exactly 100 percent sure what we're going to be covering next week, but we should have a special guest in addition to Simon being our regular Ooh. special guest. So. <laughs> Um, look out for that in a week's time. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've liked what you heard, please consider giving us a five star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Recommend us to your friends, your family, um, just people on the street. Just tell people to listen to the show. That'd be great. Um, all of those things do, uh, help us get into charts and get us in front of more earballs, um, in a more meaningful way. And if you would like, uh, to support us a little more directly, we do have a Patreon and a coffee. And uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, we do do uh, bonus conversations every week for everyone who pays. Um, so if you've liked what you heard, hopefully that sounds good. And if it doesn't, well, then why are you listening to the show? It doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, <clears throat> you can find us on the socials. Uh, the show is at Awesome Fridays DA on Twitter and Instagram. I am at SmackUAF on Twitter and Instagram. Simon is at Temporary Pen on Twitter only. Um, at least as long as Twitter continues to exist. Yeah. Um, we record this here in Vancouver on the uh, unceded and ancestral lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. One last time, thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this. Awesome friend. Bye-bye.